Proverbs chapter number one tonight. How many of you would say, preacher, I need wisdom? Amen. I just want to make sure we're still, we're still in the same boat as when we started out this, this series. Uh, we need wisdom, preacher. I'm, I'm in the boat with you. Amen. I need it just as much as you do. Look down at verse number 20 tonight. Proverbs chapter number one, verse number 20. The Bible says, Wisdom crieth without, and she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the opening of the gates, in the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you, and I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock you, or I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then shall they call upon me. But I will not answer. They shall seek me early but they shall not find me. For they had hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for tonight. Lord, what a privilege, Lord, it is, Lord, just to be in your house again tonight, Lord. And Lord, I understand I'm the pastor, Lord. I understand that I have a great responsibility, but Lord, I just enjoy and I'm thankful to be here tonight, Lord, just to see your people and God, just to fellowship with them, Lord, and to sing and, and, and Lord, to worship you and to praise your name. But Lord, we get to open up a Bible, Lord, and we get to preach the very word of God. And Lord, you have something for each and every one of us tonight, Lord. What a privilege and what a blessing that is to know uh, tonight, Lord, that God, you work things out together today so I could be here and they could be here and we could all be here to hear what you have for us. I'm so grateful tonight, Lord, that you're willing, Lord, to make a place like this available for people like us. Well, we don't deserve any of it, God. We are uh, we haven't earned none of it, God. We aren't good enough for any of it, but yet here we are tonight, Lord, and we're excited about it. I ask you, Lord, tonight that you just help us again tonight, Lord, with the preaching of your word. Help with clarity, God. Help with the, the speech and the speaker tonight, Lord. I ask you, Lord, you just empty me out again tonight, Lord, and fill me with your spirit, God, and use me for your glory. Hide me behind the cross of Calvary, Lord, and make preaching, God, what you desire and designed it to be this evening, Lord. And help us to hear on purpose, Lord. Help us to, Lord, take notes, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to see in our life where we can apply what is preached to us tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. In high school, I, I, have a, I had a dislike for English, and it really hasn't changed much, but I, I wasn't big on English, I just, and, 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 and literature, and, and I, I, I took all the classes you're supposed to take, and they put me in the advanced class, and the AP class, and at the time, I was saying, well, I'm fixing to go to college, and, and I can get a college credit while I'm in high school, and all that good stuff, and I went into Bible college, and they didn't care about none of that. Right, they didn't care. You went. What's an AP? We don't know what that is. Uh, but I remember seeing those classes, and I, I just I couldn't get into it. Right, it wasn't my thing. Right, and my my teacher would make us read all the great authors and uh, uh, down through the ages, Jane Austen and uh, Jerry. I about said Jerry Seinfeld, Jerry Steinbeck, and uh, <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld's not a good author. <laughs> Tells you how much attention I paid. 
Deutsche Gewetzky, all those people, and I had to read all these books, and I just really, man, about the one that I only really liked was The Grapes of Wrath by Steinbeck, and, and, I, and I enjoyed it. Why? Because there was a video that followed after. We got to watch the movie of it, and that's the part that I really liked. But I remember sitting in this class, and, and, and you know, I just couldn't get into it. But now, like history and biographies and science and math, boy, now we're talking. That's what I'm into. But I remember sitting in my, my, my AP English class, and I was sitting there, and the teacher was teaching about literary devices. And I thought, what in the world is this lady talking about? What is a literary device? Well, there are devices that an author might use throughout their writing to help you get a, either a mental image or to better understand the message that they're trying to convey to the reader. I remember sitting in my class and having to learn not just what the book said, but why did the author write it that way? Thinking, they're, they're dead, I have no way of asking them. I don't know why they wrote it that way. Somebody should ask them that. But one of the devices we learned was called personification. And that is taking an inanimate object and giving it human-like qualities, even though you know uh, that, that it doesn't actually have those. In essence, if I were to say tonight, as you're driving home, you look out and you see a big oak tree wrapping its arms around a, 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 a messed up fence. And we know tonight that trees don't have arms, but it gives the image of a tree growing through a fence or, or something along those lines. But here tonight in the word of God, we see this action, this device of personification. And it is applied to wisdom. We understand that when we read this, we don't literally think if we walk out of here tonight in the street, that there will be a little lady named Wisdom standing there crying and uttering out to us. But then again, with the way names are, people, people name names this, this, time of, in this time in history, you very well may find a young lady named Wisdom crying in the streets. But I want to preach on this thought tonight. Who's that crying in the streets? As we look at this tonight, and, and we've got to realize in, in the literal sense tonight, yes, wisdom's not there, but if we allow the personification that God uses here applied to wisdom, we'll pull out some great truths about wisdom this evening. First of all, we see one that wisdom is making a vocal application. In essence, wisdom is crying out, right? Wisdom is uttering out, speaking out in the streets. It is, it, is, it is a wisdom saying, hey, I'm right here. Listen to me. Pay attention to me. Follow me. Come and sit at my feet and I will tell you great things that will help you. But what we'll find out here tonight is as you look at wisdom that there are some people, and before you get so spiritual tonight, this is probably where we find ourselves a lot in our Christian life. There's some of us tonight that we don't necessarily mean to do this, but we often neglect wisdom. Well, how do you know that, preacher? Well, look at verse number 21. Look where she's crying at. She crieth in the chief place of concourse. What is a concourse? What, is, what does that even mean, preacher? That's a place where there's a lot of activity going on, a lot of people walking back and forth from, from one side to the next, from one place to the next. If you've ever been to an airport, you know that you've had to go to concourse A or concourse B or concourse C and there's a lot of running and going back and forth and trying to get there. And sometimes in the busyness of life, right, we don't mean to and we don't often realize this is what we're doing, but in the busyness of life, we neglect wisdom. We say things like this, preacher, I would love to read my Bible more and I would love to pray more and I'd love to do those things, but preacher, I'm so busy. 
Right, and what we don't realize is, is that might sound good to our flesh and, and we might be able to justify it in our own mind that this is a spiritual decision, but in reality, you and I are neglecting God's wisdom in the busyness of life. And sometimes it's in the business of life. But notice where else she's crying at. Look at verse number 21. In the city, she uttereth her words, or excuse me, she crieth in the chief places of concourse, in the opening of the gates. In the opening of the gates, sometimes in the success of life, right, we, we neglect God's wisdom. See, that word opening and the word gates there speaks of a, uh, of a place within the walls of the city and, and, and we don't understand this because this is not how we live in America, right? In America, if you are successful, you've got a lot of money, you got the means, you go buy you a big house away from everybody else. But here in, in, in biblical times in Jerusalem, those who were of importance, those who were successful, they would sit at the gates of the city and essence say, hey, look at me, I'm successful. I have achieved a place of prominence. And sometimes when, in life when we get successful is that, is that we begin to neglect God's wisdom because we all are capable of doing this thing and I have achieved and I have got to where I am by myself. And one of the most dangerous things that you and I can do in our Christian life is to solely trust in ourselves, We know we can't do that. We know we're not able to do that, but sometimes, whether we like to admit it or not, we neglect wisdom. Sometimes we're so busy, sometimes we're so successful, but it's one thing tonight to neglect wisdom, right? Because we'll see tonight there is this cry from wisdom in the streets and in the busy places and the successful places of life, and oftentimes when God deals with us, we have to make a choice. Am I going to repent and say, yes, Lord, you're right? Or am I going to reject wisdom? And so it's one thing to neglect it, but it's a whole other thing to openly reject wisdom. Neither one of them are a good choice to make, but in essence tonight we're going to see that there are some who neglect and get it right, but then there's also some who don't just neglect, but they completely reject wisdom. We'll see number one tonight. Here, give me some truths concerning the rejection of wisdom. Notice number one, the reasons for rejection. They're all found right there in verse number 22. Why do people, why would anybody want to reject wisdom? Well, they don't know how much they need it. They don't know how much they need it. And that's the very reason why they reject it. They don't think they need it. Remember Jesus said those who think they're whole, they have no need of a physician. Those who think everything's fine, they don't need no help. And here we'll find out tonight there's some, the very reason why they reject it is because they don't think, or they don't think they need it. And, and that strikes me as odd because as a Christian, I know how desperately in need of wisdom I am. But we always have to remember that not everybody thinks like we do. Not everybody has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Not everybody is a Christian. And that not everyone has the desire to be led by the Holy Spirit and in essence be led to all truth, be led to all wisdom. But in verse number 22, we see three reasons why people reject wisdom. Number one, they love complacency. They love complacency. How long, verse number 22, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? Now, my dad had a saying that he picked up in the military. It was an acrostic, an acronym. It was KISS. Keep it simple. And I'll let you fill in the blank. But keep it simple was the, was the acronym that my dad used growing up. And, 
And in, in, in our mind, we think simple is without problems, without issues, don't overcomplicate it, don't overthink it, just figure out the plan, go with the plan, and get the job done. Now, in your Bible, when you look at the word simple, or those who love simplicity, it gives us the understanding of ignorance or being ignorant, right? And in essence, he's asking, or excuse me, wisdom's asking, how long, you ignorant people, are you gonna keep being ignorant? I'll preach, don't talk to me like that. I'm not, wisdom is. <laughs> but wisdom's asking, how long are you gonna claim ignorance and say you like ignorance or lack of knowledge? Well, you know, the saying, preacher, ignorance is bliss, but ignorance does not make you inexcusable. How do you know that, preacher? Let me ask you, you're driving down the road and, and you're going, uh, you're having a grand time, you're just driving down the road having a wonderful time, and all of a sudden, you look in the rearview mirror, there's blue lights behind you. You pull over, and that, that wonderful police officer walks to your car door and your window and license and registration. Do you know why I pulled you over? Well, no, officer, I have no idea. Why did you pull me over? Could you please inform me? Well, you were speeding. You were going 10 miles over the speed limit. Well, officer, I don't know what the speed limit was. I didn't see the signs. I wasn't paying attention. I was ignorant of what the rules and the regulations were. How many think the cops goes, oh, no problem, go ahead, just keep going. All right, they'll say this, ignorance is no excuse of the law. They'll tell you that, and the same is true in life, right? Uh, and about the Christian life, the same thing, the last thing you and I ought to desire is to be an ignorant Christian. A Christian who lacks knowledge and then is okay with it. Right, I'll be the first one to say that. I don't know everything the Bible has to say and I, I, I don't know all the great truths that are confined within the word of God tonight, but there's something deep down inside of me that says, hey, I wanna study more, I wanna know more, I wanna learn more because I don't wanna walk around in my Christian life lacking knowledge because if I lack knowledge, then I'll lack what God really wants me to do. I like where, where God and how, what, what God desires out of my life. But what about in the Christian life, preacher? Ignorance of the scriptures. Is there really a good excuse to be ignorant of the scriptures or to be lack knowledge of the word of God? And now we'll, we'll throw them out there, right? We'll throw one after another. This is my excuse, this is my excuse, this is my excuse. I, I've been reading a book here lately and, and, guy, and the author was talking about the Puritan writers. And I was reading about one who, he's got 12 volumes of work. Uh, his whole life's work, 12 volumes, 12 books. His second book is on Ephesians chapter two, and that's it. Just Ephesians chapter two. 500 pages of what he studied and what he pulled out in the truth that God allowed him to see in Ephesians chapter number two. This man was writing this before the invention of the internet. This man was writing this before the invention of electricity, before the invention of, of the printing press, before the invention of all those stuff. He sat down somewhere with a candle in his Bible and just studied God's word. And you look at it, it's, it's amazing. You look at the past history of, of, of church history, so to speak. You look at the past. They had a lot less than what we have. But it seemed like they understood a whole lot more. In the day and age, in the pre we got more resources than anybody could ever dream of. We're living in a day and age where there is less and less scriptural knowledge and understanding. I'm not talking about a lost and dying world. I'm talking about within the church. 
live in a day and age of ignorant, lacking knowledge Christians. And some like that. And that's where they want to stay. Listen, if you're going to get wisdom, you can't have that attitude. You can't have that desire in your heart. You can't, you can't have that, that, that excuse ready at the go. You're going to say, listen, I'm going to find whatever resource I can. I'm going to find out whatever help I can. I'm going to ask them. I'm going to ask my pastor. I'm going to ask whoever I can, who I, who I know is right, not crazy. Right? Don't just go listen to anybody on YouTube. Right? But at the same time, you have a vast expanse with that at your fingertips right? to understand Scripture. On my laptop, I've got a Bible app or a Bible uh, program and uh, on that program, I've got at least, I want to say at least 15, if not 25, somewhere in that neighborhood commentaries, just on my laptop, right? If I were to have that in book form, I wouldn't know where to put all that, right? But at the same time in our Christian life, we got to realize there's a lot of resources that God has allowed us to have in the day and age that we live in that are we have to, am I taking advantage of those? Or am I okay with my lack of knowledge? Am I okay with my complacency? Why do some people reject wisdom? Well, they love complacency. Why do some people reject wisdom? Well, they love complaining. Look at verse number 22. We got the simple ones, and then right after that first question mark, and the scorners delight in their scorning. And the scorners delight in their scorning. <laughs> this may surprise some of y'all. Me and Brother Ray were talking about right before service. This may surprise some of y'all, but some people, Brother Ray, love to complain. That's where they find themselves. That's what they do. That's who they are. That's their verb. That's how they live. They love their complaints. Even though they don't solve anything, they don't fix anything, they don't amend anything, they don't change anything, they just love to complain. You ever met somebody? You could give them a hundred or you can give them a million dollars cash and they'd be upset because it wasn't in the check form. Right, they come, they, they, people love complaining. Well, why would people who love complaining reject wisdom? Because wisdom's going to fix their complaining. <laughs> wisdom's going to change that. When you get wisdom, you're going to realize, well, I really don't have much to complain about. I really don't have any good reasons to complain. And if all I'm doing is complaining, I'm not fixing nothing. I'm not solving anything. I'm not changing anything. Some people reject wisdom because they love complacency. They're comfortable. Some people love it because they love to complain. And they know if they got wisdom, well, they wouldn't be able to complain about that. Could you imagine that? I tell you what, I'm just upset. God gave me so much wisdom. <laughs> don't even make any kind of sense. And so in order if I want to keep complaining, I got to say, hey, I don't need no wisdom. I'm, I'm delighting in my scorning. It makes me feel good, but actually doesn't do anything good for me. They love complacency. They love complaining. Well, why do some people reject wisdom? They fear correction. They fear correction. Look at verse number 22, right there at the end of it. And fools hate knowledge. And fools hate knowledge. Preacher, why do some people reject wisdom? Why do some people reject knowledge of the scriptures and the knowledge of the Bible and God-given wisdom that starts with the fear of the Lord? Why do some people reject that? Because it'll tell them they're wrong. Simply put, and they don't want to be wrong. So if I just deny and deny and deny and deny and make up and make up and make up and pretend and pretend and deny and pretend and make up and pretend, then I don't have to. I won't ever feel wrong. 
But when you begin to read this book and you ask God for wisdom and God begins to deal with you, he's going to say, hey, that's wrong. You don't need to do that no more. That's not right. But some will say, you know what, I'd rather just reject that because I don't want to be corrected. And so I'm just going to reject knowledge. Case in point, in the 21st century that we're living in, in 2023, Miss Norman, I'm not trying to pick on your age here, but when you were in school, did you go to school with any transgenders? Were any of your teachers transgender? <laughs> now watch this, Miss Jillian. You go to school with anybody who claims to be transgender? What about any of your teachers? Yeah. And here's the thing. If you sit down with them and you begin to pull out truth, God-given wisdom, it's going to tell them they're wrong. In the same sense that when God dealt with you, he told you you was wrong. Whether it was transgender or drinking, whatever it was, God dealt with you, and you said, you know what, Lord? You're right. What a great change has come. But in essence, in order for them to keep living that way and to keep doing those things, they got to say, no, hey, get out of here with knowledge. Get out of here with knowledge. We watched a documentary not too long ago that dealt with that issue. And it was amazing just how, how far people were willing to go to reject just basic knowledge. <laughs> that a doctor doesn't assign your gender. God does. The doctor doesn't assign your sex. God does. It's the eight but two of them, right? In essence, and I, listen, if people come in here, and listen, I, I, I'd love anybody to come here to hear the preaching of the gospel, but we're not going to bow down to that stuff. If a parent walks in here and says, uh, preacher, I need you to accommodate my son. He believes he's a cat, right? I'm probably going to say, listen, this probably, this probably isn't the place for you, right? You're laughing, but it's happening. Why? People are rejecting knowledge. They're rejecting wisdom. Why? Re re wisdom's going to correct their problem. And they don't want to be corrected. Let me ask you now, you're going to find an excuse to reject godly wisdom in your life. We see the reasons why they reject. They like complacency. They like complaining. They like correction. Notice number two tonight, the results of reject. Well, what happens when somebody rejects wisdom? Now, remember, there's a difference between unrealized negligence of wisdom, right? We get busy. We get preoccupied. We, 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 we get successful and we reject, right? We're all prone to do that. The Bible says we all like sheep going astray. Right? That's in our nature to, to do that. But like I said, there's that negligence when God deals with you, you repent of it, you get it right, and you go on. But we see it now. Well, what is the result when somebody blatantly says, no, I don't want that. God, I don't want your wisdom. I don't want your knowledge. I hear wisdom crying in the streets, but uh, no, not, not for me. Your cries are falling on deaf ears. But we see that there's a blatant rejection of wisdom. Look at verse 124. Because I've called. Well, there was a voice. Right? There was, there was conviction there. I've called and you refused. I've stretched out my hand. There's an action there. Right? In essence, I, I called and then I stretched out. Do you realize tonight that on the cross of Calvary, Jesus did everything needed for you and I to be saved by the grace of God. And in doing so, he opened up a door to God's wisdom. There's been an action. There's been a voice. But notice what he says right there in verse number uh, 24, 25. And you said it not all by counsel. There was a word. And they said, no, thank you. 
I don't want that. So we're not talking about accidental here. You know, you, you might have misspoke here, but there is a three-time denial. Right? Denied the voice, denied the action, and denied the words. And we have to realize tonight when, when somebody rejects God's wisdom, they will do it knowing what they've done. They'll do it in a, in a sense that they can't step back and say, well, I didn't mean that. Well, I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily know that. There was a direct refuse of God's wisdom. They didn't actually accidentally reject wisdom. They did it on purpose. And notice when somebody does that, when there's a direct refusal of wisdom, notice what happens. Verses 26 and 28 shows that there's an unconquering fear. Look at verse number 26. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. Now, there will be some people that say, well, if that's who God is, I don't want to serve him. Well, you can't just take one verse out of the Bible and build an entire doctrine off of it, <laughs> right? You got to interpret scripture with scripture. And what we'll see what is actually going on here in verses 26 through 28 tonight. And when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind and when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall you call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early. They shall not find me. Well, preacher, what in the world? Unconquering fear. We see one first of all, what is it? It brings desolation. And in essence, that gives a quickly formed storm. In essence, you, it is upon you before you realize it. Just a couple weeks ago, we had the tornado come through here, and I had no idea until I read about it on the news. But it was, it was done, it started, was done, and over with by the time I ever knew what was even going on. And here's the thing that I, a lot of people say, well, listen, I'm fine, I'll reject, and I'll reject, everything will be fine, then out of nowhere. Right, that storm comes and there's nothing they can do about it. It brings desolation. It brings destruction. It means to bring you completely down, remove any source of stability. When you reject wisdom, that's the only thing you can build your life on. You can't build your life on the sinking sands of this world. We, Jesus taught us that in the New Testament. He talked about those two builders building a house, one built upon a rock, one built upon the store, sands. And when the storm came, one on the sands failed. The Bible says it's great was the fall of it. It didn't just lose a few boards and a couple shingles. It was completely destroyed. We know tonight if we try to build our life on anything else besides God's wisdom, it's going to bring desolation, destruction, and then it brings distress, tightness, the walls closing in around you, the, the, the imagery that's given there when we look at that word. And since everything's closing in on you, and the Bible says when that comes, these people will begin to cry out. And look what verse number 27, verse number 26, I will laugh at your calamity. Well, does God take joy in the suffering of people? Of course not. It's not his heart. He's not willing that any should perish. But at the same time, if you and I have rejected godly wisdom, right? God told us what we needed to do, where we needed to do it, how we needed to do it, and when it needed to be done. And we said, no, thank you. I don't want it. What else can he do? Right? In essence, if you, if you reject the one thing that's supposed to work, there's not another option. There's not godly wisdom A and godly wisdom B. There's godly wisdom. And so when he says, I will laugh at your calamity, it's not he's sitting back in heaven saying, ha, 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 look at you. In essence, he's saying, I told you so. Wisdom says, I, I told you this is what was going to happen. This is why I cried out in the streets. This is why I, I, I reached out to you. This is why I gave you counsel. This is why I tried to, help you not go down this road and when you chose no, what else can I do for you? How else can I help you? 
laugh at your calamity. I told you this would happen, but I will not answer. The answer's already been given. Wisdom's already spoke. Wisdom's already said it. Listen, there's not another answer you can go to. This is it. And we see here tonight that when, we, when somebody rejects godly wisdom, there's an unconquerable fear that comes upon them. But all of that, is there's, there's an undesirable fruit. Look at verse number 29. So we, we go upon this again. There's another example. For they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Look at verse number 30. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of the fools shall destroy them. There's undesirable fruit. Verses 29 through 30, again, there's this blatant rejection of wisdom. If the first result isn't bad enough, the second ain't gonna get no better. Here comes another one. First of all, they're stuck with their own fruit. Look at verse number 31. They shall eat the fruit of their own way and shall be filled with their own devices. Well, Galatians tells us something along those lines as well in Galatians chapter number six. Verses 7 and 8 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. In essence, if you reject wisdom, and you say, all right, God, I don't need none of that, I'm going to do it my own way, get ready to eat your own fruit. And it ain't going to be the fruit of the Spirit. It's going to be the fruit of your flesh, which is corruption. In essence, it'll be the same as you say, you know what, I'm real hungry. I'm going to go over to my, my fruit basket at the house. I'm going to find me something to eat. And you find, you know, you look over all the good bananas, look over all the good apples and the good oranges or whatever else you keep in your fruit basket. And you find that banana that is black. It's got fruit flies on it. Soft. I mean, it's not even good for banana bread. You take that thing, you take a big bite out of it and say, look what I've got. You can have it. I don't want it. Give me the one where you can still read the sticker on it. That Chiquita. Chiquita. I think I went to school with her. But notice here tonight, in essence, here's, here's what we're trying to say. He's trying to say, listen, you don't have to follow godly wisdom. You can reject it. You can not follow after it, but there will be a fear that comes upon you that you'll, you won't be able to solve within yourself until you get your heart right. But then he says, listen, then on top of that, you'll have fruit that you don't desire. You will reap a whirlwind that you can't control, that you can't fix in just a minute. Notice they're stuck with their own fruit but they're also struck down by their rejection. Look at verse number 32. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of the fools shall destroy them. Once again, here's a principle we see in Proverbs, but it's carried out in the New Testament as well. In essence, there's never a good time to reject godly wisdom. There's never a good time where you, when you reject it, it works out for you. And you get a blessing from, look at Romans 6, 21 tonight. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to mark that down, it says, what fruit had ye and then in those things whereof are you not ashamed? And the end of those things is death. And so when you and I pursue something besides godly wisdom, we can say literally we are on a dead end road. It's not going to produce anything. It's not going to bring anything good into our life. So we see the reasons why people are complacent. They like complaining. They fear correction. And we see what it results in uncontrollable fear and undesirable fruit. Let me ask you, do you want the fruit of an unwise person? 
I don't. Are the results of rejection enough to make you not want to reject wisdom? Then notice number three, it's been hard tonight. <laughs> been rough. Point one, two, point one and two are pretty hard, but look at point number three tonight. The reassurance of reception. The reassurance of, well, what happens, preacher, when I, when I don't reject, but when I receive? Now, listen, I'm a firm believer tonight. If you've got a good product, you don't have to sell it. It'll sell itself. Growing up, I remember we had, a, man, times have changed. We had a door-to-door vacuum salesman come to our house. We also had a door-to-door milkman drop milk off at our house every morning. Not every morning, I guess whenever the routine was. We had a little box out there. Man, I remember being so excited to go out there and grab that. Glass bottles. That don't happen no more. But I remember we had this door-to-door salesman. Vacuums come by. And my dad let him in. Worst mistake he ever made. He was in there telling us all the specs of it. And all that, this, that, and the other. And then he said this, go get your vacuum cleaner. And so I went and got it, plugged it in. He said, all right, vacuum over this part of the carpet. I vacuumed over it. He said, do you think you got all the dirt out? I said, well, yeah, sure. This guy knew what he was doing. Right? He brought the kids in the, in the, in the equation. And I remember vacuuming over it, and, and he did all this, and he, then he pulled out his vacuum. His vacuum was a, it looked like R2-D2. It had special filters on it that you had to buy. It, it was a separate from the, the hose, and the hose came out of it, and then it was, a, it was a machine of itself. And he took that vacuum, put that filter on it. He ran over the same spot I just went over. He said, now let me show you this. And he popped off the top, and within that filter, it seemed like 60 pounds of dirt that I had missed. That man walked out of that house with a check for a brand new vacuum. He didn't have to sell it, it sold itself. And what we'll see here tonight that, and within this chapter that we've read tonight's portion of the scriptures, the majority of it deals with what happens when you reject wisdom. There's two verses here tonight where somebody responds to it, right? They receive it. They, they, they repent, they get those things right. You would think, well, wouldn't, wouldn't God have to say a whole lot more about receiving and, 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 and getting right and all those kind of things for me to do it? No, because when you realize what literally says about the good is way more better than all that he said about the bad. And so we see tonight in great detail why people reject wisdom and what happens to them. In two verses tonight, we'll see what happens when somebody receives. Look at verse number 23. Turn you at my reproof, Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you, and I will make known my words unto you. I don't know about you, that sounds a whole lot better than undesirable fruit, dead-end roads, and messed-up lives. I'd much rather have God's spirit poured out on me. I understand tonight, we believe biblically that when you got saved by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit now dwells, you ain't got all of God inside of you. But in essence, when you and I respond upon wisdom, we are allowing ourselves to be a a willing vessel. We're allowing ourselves to be used of God, and there's a greater understanding. Notice what he says right there in in verse 23, and I will make known my word. You ever had that happen to you? Where what was on the page wasn't just the very word of God, but it became what you needed to get through the day, what you needed to do to fix the problem, what you needed to do to to help the relationship, and and God said, hey, here's my word, now let me make sense to you, because you've responded to wisdom. 
Right? You, you turn at my reproof when, when you've neglected because you're busy, when you've neglected because uh, you're successful. And I dealt with your heart instead of saying, no, you said, oh, Lord, you're right. I'm going to get this right. He said, I'll pour my spirit out on you. I will make known my words unto you. But then look down at verse number 33. But who shall hearken unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear <coughs> of evil. Excuse me. Well, that's a complete opposite, right? And so what we have to realize tonight is when you and I reject wisdom or people reject wisdom tonight, they are putting themselves in a category that everybody wants to be in. But yet when we respond to wisdom and where we see that it is directly linked to a position, a place that everybody wants to be in. Where's the safest place that a Christian can be operating in the wisdom of God? Or with the wisdom of God? Look at verse 33. But whoso hearken unto me shall dwell safely. Not just have a moment of safety or a, a passing time, but shall dwell safely. That's why you call your house your dwelling place. Because that's where you sleep, that's where you live, that's where you spend the majority of your time. And I don't know about you, I don't want to spend a, a small portion of my Christian life in a safe place. I want to dwell in the safety of God. Then he goes on to say in verse 33, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Notice it's the same fear that was destroying and uh, taking out the rejectors you will have no fear of it. Why? You're operating in wisdom. You're operating in wisdom. Wisdom's truth, and, and truth is right, and you're following the Holy Spirit, and, and all that good stuff that everybody else is struggling with. The fear of the Lord conquers that fear. Right? And so he said that you will, uh, shall be quiet from the fear of evil. Oh, you'll know it's out there, and you'll know that, that it's a real thing, but you'll say, as long as I'm walking in wisdom... And as long as I'm allowing wisdom to make my choices and my, my, my decisions, and I know that's what God desires, yes, Satan may come against me, and yes, the evil of this world may try to attack me, but I have no fear of it because I got wisdom. And wisdom is what you and I need. And we need to live that way. Why do, a lot of, why do, why do so many Christians live in fear? Right? <laughs> why do so many Christians just seem to miss it? I was joking Sunday night after church. I can't remember who was all standing around me. I said, man, I missed my opportunity. I said, I missed my opportunity to preach a wonderful social justice message in honor of Martin Luther King Day. Here's the sad part. There was probably a lot of churches. On Sunday morning, they preached messages that had to deal with more social issues than actually had to deal with the gospel. Now listen tonight, we ought to love people and help people the best we can, but we cannot let that replace what we've been called to preach. And that is the gospel. That is the wisdom of God. <laughs> because listen, you don't, you don't need a social activist when evil comes your way. You need wisdom. You need wisdom tonight. The reassurance of reception. Hey, he said, listen, you don't have to. And if you don't, here's what's going to happen to you. But if you do, here's what's going to happen to you. The spirit will be poured out on you. You'll have great, get great understanding, a safe dwelling place, and a lack of the fear of evil. Let me ask you now, very simply, are you going to reject or are you going to receive? You reject or receive the, the wisdom that God desires to put into your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father.